Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann has the uh, evening off, so I'll be here with you for a few minutes. Appreciate everybody being here, and um, uh, not gonna not gonna spend the whole hour here, but just want to check in and <clears throat> give you a little a little heads up on things and. Uh, maybe drop a little a little info on you. So uh, let's see. Want to check the check the news real quick. We're still in the throes of um, election theft, confusion, um, fraud, whatever. So it's still the election drama. The um, Lawsuits, I guess, are still out there. The county's still going on. We're still waiting, you know, waiting for the um, runoff in Georgia Georgia to happen to see if we will have a 50-50 split in the Senate or 52-48. Nothing's really changed um, since yesterday. All sorts of um, hubbub about vaccines and and uh, what's coming in the future and COVID and how does all that change? How does that play out now that uh, now that Biden is president and uh, chief whatever chief magical doctor uh, of the United States? He said he was going to shut down the virus. So he's going to flip flip the secret virus kill switch and make the virus go away. Um, is that going to happen? And then all of a sudden now he's talking about nationwide mass mandates working with governors. And then you have various governors and uh, state politicians talking about mass mandates and Biden pretending that he's president already making up um, fake signs and fake offices, um, uh, calling himself uh, the uh, or creating the office of the official office of vice president elect or president elect or whichever one he is i can't keep him straight is hair it's harris vp elect or is harris president elect um which is which so biden's running around pretending that he's already president and making up fake offices so here we go uh same old same old drama in the media as is their role and tradition uh, is continuing to churn out the propaganda and support uh, support the narrative. So it's an, it's been an interesting thing to me to watch uh, the reckless, really the reckless media. You don't you don't know what's going to happen, what the outcome is going to be. But for for the media, who knows who who knows that the thing is not settled until the states certify. Um, certify the election, uh, set up this whole scenario as if it's a done deal. And, you know, what a shame that Trump's not conceding and all, all of this uh, banging the drum on this narrative to convince people that it's a done deal when it was, was not and is not a done deal. And so, you know, imagine if Trump is to go through, President Trump's going to go through all this stuff and, and, and were to succeed in the lawsuits and you know they keep counting biden doesn't doesn't win then the media will have set up 
um, uh, will have set up a situation to create mass chaos uh, and violence in the streets, mass insurrection, which would be the fault of the media and their their propaganda. So I, I really I still believe that probably the biggest enemy on the scene has been the media uh, propagandists and not only the way that they have spun everything going on in this election, but what they have done throughout the Trump print, uh, presidency. Uh, I mean, consider that the people who voted for Biden, I still believe this, didn't necessarily vote for socialism, but in their minds voted against a racist because that was the false narrative that's been spun now by this dangerous subversive media for uh, for four solid years in addition to their Russia hoax um, and all all the other stuff the uh, you had the very fine people hoax you had the um, uh, all Mexicans are rapists and criminal hoax and it's just been one false media report at one sustained false media report uh, after another. And uh, as we mentioned, Facebook does not censor those false reports. There's not a single story on Facebook ever censored that, that said Trump called Mexicans, all Mexicans, rapists and criminals that, that has been freely shared over and over and over again, uh, on social media to the point that, a large portion of America actually believe believe that that's a true story. Uh, you go back and look at the transcripts, look at the at the uh, talk and that wasn't said. That wasn't said. Uh, nor was white supremacists are very fine people. That was never said. Um, but all of that's been created, and that's just tip of the iceberg. Russia, Russia is in possession of. Uh, Trump sex tapes was another hoax uh, shared repeatedly uh, that will not be censored by social media. So it's just been sustained propaganda, uh, sustained, sustained lies, uh, you know, over and over and over again. But the thing about that, the thing that I think people don't understand is that's nothing new. And this is a mission that has been carried out uh, for three quarters of a century now. And so I wanted to, I wanted to just point, point out a, uh, an individual, a couple, a couple of these individuals, sort of the legacy, the legacy of the socialist, uh, in journal, in journalism. And some of you may know, uh, and be familiar with the name, with the person, with, with some of these folks. I just want to mention a couple for the little bit of time that I'm going to spend with you. Um, and you can, you can go back and research this, but I've been <clears throat> just on this, um, sort of project of researching socialist history for about the last year now. And, uh, which includes, uh, which includes anarchist history and, you know, the whole gamut, the whole socialist, uh, socialist family, which people seem to have very little concept of, of the scope of it, I think. And we, you know, we think about 
uh, we, we didn't we think about Soviet style Marxism and just this very small, uh, small sort of view, small window. Socialism is has a very long history, a broad history, and has many, many sort of uh, branches to the tree. But anyway, uh, part part of the socialist propaganda. There's one name, even as you read, even as I've researched now for a year, and you'll find socialist hist histories and and you know all this discussion of socialism. And it's it's fascinating to me uh, that. Probably the most influential socialist in American history is rarely mentioned uh, in any of these, in any of the histories and in, in, in any serious discussion about the influence in of socialism in America. And uh, I find that I find that to be uh, pretty peculiar. So. Let me share a quote with you guys. You've probably, let's see, you've probably seen this before. Um, all right, where where to go? That's my desktop, not the. So here's the quote. You you may have seen this. Alexander Trachtenberg, National Convention of Communist Parties, 1944. He says, "When we get ready to take the United States, we will not take it under the label of communism." will not take it under the label of socialism. These labels are unpleasant to the American people and have been spe uh, speared too much. We will take the United States under labels we have made very lovable. We will take it under liberalism, under progressivism, under democracy, but take it, we will. Uh, that was a statement from Alexander Trachtenberg. And, you know, talking about the opposition of of what was known then as an as Americanism and many people did not embrace, you know, even many of the socialists were kind of mo even moderated in their view and approach because of the issue of Americanism where that, you know, they discovered that being able to live as free as possible uh, was, you know, America was the best place to do that. And, and the ideas of Americanism supported that. So people, that was 1944, uh, the quote, so people weren't really, why does that keep disappearing? People were not really, you know, didn't really fancy socialism and, and when, when that was explained and when it was laid out, or at least, you know, at, at, by this time, after World War I in particular. Um, socialism, anarchy, and, and uh, uh, no, John, that's, uh, that's not... Uh, actually true. Anarchists are anti-socialist. Um, so I'm, I'm in the midst of writing a book on the, all this thing, and that's a common misconception. Um, Karl Marx was an anarchist. So here's the, here's the thing, John. Let me explain. And let me put this, uh, so put the statement up there so you can see it. They're against government. Uh, they're against communism too. Anarchists. So, so all, that's, all that's a, it's a very sort of hodgepodge confusion of the reality of the beliefs. If you research thoroughly, you will recognize that Karl Marx was an anarchist. So the anarchist movement was part of the socialist socialist movement. And so anarchist, uh, you know, their their motto was no gods, no rulers. The idea is no government, you know, to rule over us, which is the same, which is, you know, Karl Marx being an anarchist shared the same belief. So where the split 
came about, which I think is the source of this confusion, um, John, is so Karl Marx, and this is the bizarre, this is the bizarre part of Karl Marx philosophy. So when you read his writings, you read the Communist Manifesto and, you know, then the then the more detailed version of Das Kapital. Um, Karl Marx. So the goal Right. The goal. This is the weirdness. So follow me. This is the it's it's a strange. It, I mean, it's a strange, wacky doctrine, but it's but it was Karl Marx statement and what what he believed. Uh, so as an anarchist. Right. The the goal was this this uh, utopian idea where everybody lives in harmony, cooperates and you know, there's no government. Right. So the, the goal is get rid of government, have a stateless society. So their utopia is a stateless society. So everybody's just cooperating, filling their role, whatever skills they had, uh, they would do that. So that's what Karl Marx wanted. The bizarre philosophy that Karl Marx put forward to accomplish a stateless society was was OK, get this. It's about so if we want a stateless society, the, the socialists said, we have to destroy the current social order. The only thing powerful enough to destroy the current social order would be an authoritarian, all-powerful state. So Karl Marx's wacky philosophy was in order to arrive at our utopian goal of a stateless society, we must create a totalitarian state to crush the current social order to move us to like we will naturally involve into not ever needing a state because capitalism would, would be crushed. Uh, people would not compete. So their natural tendency to cooperate would manifest and they'd be able to progress and create, in their words, heaven on earth. So. Karl Marx was an anarchist, but that was the split when uh, Mikhail Bakunin basically looked at Marx and the Marxists and said, that's insanity. Uh, if our goal is to create a stateless society, what the hell kind of sense does it make to make a totalitarian state in order to do that? You're out of your mind so long. We're out of here. So that's when you had the black flag split from the red flags. Uh, and Bakunin looked at Marx and says, what you're going to create is the bloodiest, most murderous, sociopathic organization that's ever existed in the history of mankind. That's what you're doing. And, and of course, uh, he was he was right. So it's a real it's a real wacko sort of philosophy that Marx put forth to achieve the goal. But make no mistake. uh he was an anarchist. So the ultimate goal was the same goal as the anarchist. Uh, so they're all part of the same socialist family. Now, the thing about anarchists is there's a whole lot of different flavors of anarchists. Um, and, it, it, you know, it, down to individualistic anarchism, which is uh, which is different and why a lot of people fixate on that and say, therefore, uh, anarchists are not socialists so majority anarchists in fact are so socialists so john if you're an anarchist uh you may be in the small line of individualist anarchist which is which has historically been distinct from 
from the rest of the anarchist family. And it's, it's very, it's quite varied as a matter of fact. So there are a lot of different flavors. It's hard, it's hard to kind of talk about, um, talk about them as, as one. And so, yeah, Marx, as some of you were mentioning was, was, um, influenced by, uh, Hegel, the German idealist philosopher, Hegel, who, who, who was another, non uh, nonsensical philosophy of what we came to know as the hegelian dialectic he called it the actually the master slave dialectic is one of the most bizarre things uh where that he pretty much said um i am me and if i'm me you're not me and since you're not me you're other and so your very existence of being not me is a negation of me. So you are a negation of me. Therefore, that's an attack on me and I must kill you. And the, out of this wacky thought process, he creates the master slave dialectic, basically that, you know, society is divided up into master and slave. And, you know, one person wanting the rule over the other through negation of the other and therefore slave must overthrow the master. And then, you know, you carry that out in the Marxist thinking that everything is about economics and the motor of history is economics. And so the master in that case is the bourgeois. And so the slave being the worker, the slave must overthrow the bourgeois, uh, you know, proletariat must kill, kill the rich. That's where eat the rich comes from. Um, the, and of course, the funny thing about Marx's economic philosophy is after about 50 years of, you know, people were realizing he's full of, he's full of crap. Um, Edward, Edward, uh, Bernstein was kind of the inheritor, um, you know, of the mantle after Marx and Engels died. And he began look at it, looking at it and saying, hey, we're 50 years into this thing. And everything that Mark, Marx predicted has not come to pass. Uh, the workers were supposed to get poorer as capitalism spread. And the, the workers would realize their situation and would, you know, create global revolution and overthrow capitalism. The only problem was after 50 years after Marx's theory, people looked around once we've transitioned through the industrial revolution and after world war one, uh, capitalism was lifting the workers and in improving their quality of life. And they were not getting poorer. They were, it was getting better. And so Bernstein said, we need to rethink this, got into, you know, pretty much got into it with Lenin and the radicals. And, uh, you know, more or less said, hey, Lenin and the Marxists, really for them now, it's all about revolution. It's all, you know, it's just revolution for them because the economic theory of Karl Marx uh, has failed. It's it's false. It's nonsense. So that's when Lenin came back and got off the train to basically instigate the Bolshevik revolution. And the first thing he said in uh, when he got off the train was we have to deal with Bernstein. We have to we have to answer his criticism. We have to si silence him. And uh, so so that was that was the flip um, Russian Revolution. And then, you know, the rest is history. So nobody nobody paid attention to the Marx disciples who uh, who actually were saying that his theory failed. Uh, anyway, back to Trachtenberg. So in all that history, it's crazy that you never run into into 
to Trachtenberg with this. And here's why I wanted to share uh, his history, because it's nothing new. The, the astounding thing uh, is that Trachtenberg, so the guy that, you know, said we're going to we're not going to we're not going to tell them it's socialism. We're not going to tell them it's communism. We're not going to call it that. We'll call it liberalism. We'll call it progressive. You know, we're making progress, whatever. So this guy uh, was a uh, a Russian Jew, so fled fled um, Russia because of persecution under the Tsarist re regime and Jewish persecution and all that sort of stuff. But long story short, he lands in America. Uh, he he creates uh, the interna international publishing, so the publishing house called International Publishing, and it's been the premier. Uh, distributor of radical socialist propaganda ever since 1924. So 1924, this thing was established. They start disseminating propaganda. We went through various, uh, you know, various times, 1919, for instance, and, you know, all these socialists were being rounded up, thrown in jail, prosecuted, kicked out of the country, trying to shut all this stuff down, you know, they end up winning court battles, hiding behind, as somebody mentioned earlier, hiding behind free speech, all that nonsense. And the interesting thing, which I think is critical for the history today, is that um, Trachtenberg joined the Communist Party USA, helped even start the Communist Party USA. And international publishing became essentially the de facto publishing company for the Communist Party USA. Um, and at that time, you had the first international created in uh, created by the Marxist and the Soviet Union began working through what what they called the the first international communist international Comintern is essentially funding, one, funding, two, controlling all of these propagandists all over the world, including Trachtenberg. So after the Soviet Union, uh, you know, Bolshevik Revolution, Soviet Union was established, got on its feet, uh, Lenin, Stalin, Trotsky running the show. They send directives, Trachtenberg in the United States, this is a, this is a U.S. publisher in the United States, being sent directives by the communist the communist party of the soviet union and uh there were these these groups uh sort of reading groups like free reading groups and mentoring groups started in this community under the guise of you know the socialism because socialism we're supposed to help people and welfare programs and and wages and uh you know labor rights and all this, all this, you know, propaganda pretense, right? So they start all these groups. Trachtenberg and these journalistic organizations, uh, and then the Rand Rand uh, Rand Institute in New York, these universities, they get a directive from the Soviet Union that the newspapers, the journals, the arts program. The education system need to make sure to hire and elevate socialists, journalists, artists, intellectuals, educators. And since 
1924, the entire journalistic enterprise, and I'm talking all of the media, and, and including art. So all this, all this art, uh, novels, fiction, books, whatever, has been carrying out the mission given by Soviet communists uh, to Trachtenberg as he led the propaganda movement in the United States. So when you look at, you know, when somebody looks at, oh, my gosh, here's Rolling Stone magazine. Here's The New Yorker. Uh, here's time. You, you know, you go on and on down the list and think, man, these guys are always pumping out all this socialist propaganda. The fact of the matter is they were given a mission in the 20s by the Soviet Union through Alexander Trachtenberg, and they've been carrying out that mission every day since and still and are still doing it. Um, and so this guy and it's by that token, since, you know, the mission were, was all the, the printed propagandists and now the digital media propagandists, it's no surprise that anytime you read about Soviet history or socialist history, uh, Trachtenberg is usually nowhere to be found. I've looked at all these anthologies and history, whatever, and they don't even talk about it because obviously they don't want you to know uh, the most influential Marxist propagandist in the history of America taking direct orders from Soviet Communist Party. So it's really shocking. Here we are in 2020. It's 100 years now. Think about that. Almost 100 freaking years. The Soviet Union has since collapsed, doesn't even exist anymore, yet a mission that was, that was given, orders that were given, almost uh, orders given 90 Six years ago, by the Soviet Union's Communist Party, is still being carried out to this day. Just mind-boggling, mind-boggling to me. Absolutely mind-boggling. And so, uh, it, it, it's it's funny. I read about you know all the roundups. I'm sorry, I missed I missed a super chat earlier to look at the YouTube. Thank you. Thank you for that. I did see that, but it's funny. Um, th thinking about, uh, all, all of the, all of the propagandists, all this stuff going on and how, how this has been sustained now for a century. And you, I don't want to give credit to a guy like Trachtenberg, obviously, but it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable the influence and the plan and how it's been carried out and how it still how it still goes on. I mean, think about a guy like Karl's Mark, Karl Marx. Absolutely, communism is a virus. It's un, it's incredible. So you think about a guy like Karl Marx. So where even. Edward Bernstein, so the man who inherit essentially inherits the throne from Engels and Marx, says, "Sorry, they were wrong. What they predicted has not come to pass. Uh, capitalism is not destroying workers; it's actually lifting them. This is a failure." So, something that was essentially recognized 
by the leading expert and the disciples as an other failure has con continued to carry forward the, the way it has. And, you know, obviously in large part to uh, Lenin. And I mean, two of, two of the most brutal, murderous, sociopathic human beings ever to walk the face of the earth, Lenin and Stalin. When you look at the brutality and, and the sheer numbers of the devastation under their Marxist philosophy that they carried out, they make Hitler look like a choir boy. I mean, Hitler doesn't even begin to compare to the, to the absolute human destruction carried out by Lenin and Stalin. So the, and, and, and any of the, you know, any of their sort of offshoot, their offspring, when you look at all the ones that follow, when you look at Mao, when you look at Pol Pot, when you look at uh, Mussolini, their fascist, you know, fascist cousin. And this, it's always a funny thing how the socialists uh, try not to claim Nazism. They don't want to claim fascism and all oh, the anarchists fought against the fascists, all this sort of stuff. So that's not socialist. So it, it's wacky Castro on and on, you know, so even, even you pile in, you pile in all of that, right? Add all that to the account and the absolute sheer devastation that socialism has caused. And again, in the name of creating heaven on earth, right? The whole, remember the whole goal, the whole idea, just the bizarro world idea of socialism is to have this utopian heaven on earth. Everybody lives in peace and harmony. And with that, with that being the pretended goal, that philosophy has killed more people than just about every, every disease, plague, and war combined in the history of humankind. And, and we have a generation, and this is what's so mind I mean, I don't even have the words for it, but when I think about Trachtenberg and his and the propagandist family, what they've been able to comp to accomplish by brainwashing a generation in colleges through the media, the news, the movies, the books, art, everything. The idea that you can get an entire generation and so many of these youngsters in uh in America to follow after and to to pursue what has been the most murderous ideology ever fought up and carried out in the history of the universe. It is I, I don't even know what to say. It, it it is the most devilish evil I can imagine. It it is absolutely just incomprehensible, incomprehensible to me. And that's exactly right. Ample forth. You, you hit the nail on the head that the goal is, uh, is destruction. You guys think that the stated goal is the actual goal. Uh, I, now by stated goal, Katie, are you referring to the, the goal of utopia, the goal of heaven on earth? I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that's the actual goal. So yeah.
agreed with Ampleforth. It, it, it really, you really have hit the nail on the head. I'm put that up there. It's destruction. You think about, again, let me restate this because so many people don't get it. We, we toss, one of the problems is we so overuse the word socialism and communism that we no longer really understand the fullness of it. Uh, so it's, it is, even when you look at Hegel, like people laugh, even philosophers laugh about trying to make sense of Hegel's philosophy because it's so nonsensical. It doesn't make, it's just the craziest stuff you ever heard, but it's the same, the same thing about uh, Marxism, communism, all this, you know, communism in its purest sense is the idea of people living in a commune, cooperating, sharing, whatever. And so that's their, that's their, the utopian pretense. But think about what Marx said. Marx, as an, as an, you know, again, anarchist, the word anarchist has morphed so much today, just like the word libertarian. Uh, maybe we'll call him a utopianist, right? So an anarchist utopianist. Marx, like this twisted philosophy of Marx actually saying, our goal is to create a stateless society, a stateless paradise. And the way that we do that is to create an authoritarian state that can crush the world to destroy the current social order, right? Because the idea is we have to, their thought process, okay? And this is where, sorry for you, sorry for the non-religious people out there, uh, but it's just the way it is. A, a biblical worldview says that man is, an, is inherently uh, inherently depraved is in, is not inherently good because of the fall of Adam. So, one of the things the socialists do off the bat they reject God. So you can't you know you look at a greedy capitalist using using capitalism as a tool to exploit people. Okay, so from a biblical worldview we'd look at that and say, well, the problem is that guy uh, is a sinful guy. He's a bad guy. He's an evil guy, and he's abusing people. The socialist who throws the whole idea of God out the window cannot evaluate it in that manner, can't say, well, that guy is just a bad guy because, you know, then that would imply the idea of sin and unrighteousness and therefore God, whatever. Uh, so they have to say, no, it's the system. It's the capitalist system. No, it's not the system. Capitalism is it's not necessarily good or bad. It's a tool. So, yeah, there there are. There are people use that use capitalism to exploit others, no doubt about it. Um, but the system is not the issue. It's it's the person, right? It's it's an. I mean, you can even think in a non-religious sense. So let's say just a libertarian sense. Look at the individual. It's the individual doing that. Blame the person, right? It's that person abusing people, not not the system. Same thing with the you know the whole systemic racism. You know, it's a system. The system is racist. No, there are racists in the system. It doesn't mean the system is racist. So same idea. But but that's how they they look at things. And so then then the socialist says that man's inherent nature is to cooperate, not to compete. But capitalism introduces the idea of competition. And so therefore, it's an obstacle to man being able to cooperate. If you remove the obstacle of capitalism, which brings competition, then man is free to cooperate. He will he will cooperate with his fellow man and they'll create a paradise of heaven on earth.
Well, if you have a biblical worldview or even if you're not religious and you just have half a brain, you can look around at reality and say, uh, no, it's not in, in man's nature to cooperate. Uh, it's his nature to compete. So the opposite is true. So why not tap into that, have an economic system that leverages man's natural ability or natural tendency to compete and create a system where still to this day, it gives the greatest opportunity to the greatest number of people to rise out of misery. Um, and then when you look at their, I, I mean, it, it really the, the sort of ugliness of capital leads to the closest utopia you can have, right? The opportunity for somebody to, to take hold of, of the system and rise out of misery, right? But then the totally, the total opposite, is socialism. They promise a utopia, but then the system that they bring in to do it does the opposite. They say capitalism brings degradation when capitalism, when uh, employed properly, lifts people. Then socialism promises utopia, but when it's employed, it destroys. It brings misery. So it's just the opposite. Every, everything Everything they say uh, is is the counter. All of these promises are pretense, absolute pretense. So, uh, anyway, so it's just your uh, just a sort of primer on uh, socialism. But and again, the core of it, and I, you know, people who don't like to get religious, whatever. But from from a from a faith standpoint from from a christian standpoint biblical worldview it's an antichrist philosophy at the core of it is the the assault on hierarchies the ultimate hierarchy is god uh god above all which is why the motto of the anarchist is no 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 gods no masters uh so but that's how you that's that's where you see this kind of weird a lot of this weird thought process of uh, of of the anti-hierarchy, right? Comes out of that socialist ideal, the anti-hierarchy. So you think when you think uh, the bathroom controversy in North Carolina, right? No boys' bathroom, girls' bathroom, some kind of nondescript bathroom, and you think, well, what does that have to do with socialism? That's not that doesn't have anything to do with economics. No, it has everything to do with socialism because the core of the socialist thought is to attack hierarchies, right? And that's a hierarchy. So uh, gender is a hierarchy, husband, wife, hierarchy, religion, hierarchy. Uh, it's all about that. You look at to to drive the point home. One of the first uh, one of the earliest examples of a socialist experiment in America was in the early 1800s, a guy by the name of Robert Owen. Uh, Robert Owen was and this is a crazy thing. This is another commonality with the socialists. They're all rich. <laughs> all the leading socialists are, are rich people, right? They're all supposed to be the bourgeois, but or they're all supposed to be the proletariat, but they're actually bourgeois. Anyway, Robert Owen was was a wealthy uh, textile uh, um, owner, right? Had a factory, textile factory. And in his factory, you know, he started implementing these sort of social progressive policies um, with wages and free education and that sort of thing. And people were looking at the factory 
and coming from all over going, oh, man, this is amazing. What if we could implement these ideas, you know, on a community level? And he said, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. He starts publishing his socialism in 1817. It gets disseminated in American newspapers, catches on. He comes over in 1825 and uh, buys a community, the community of Harmony in Indiana, renames it New Harmony, and it's going to have his socialist uh, experiment in New Harmony, Indiana. He draws up this, this, you know, this sort of uh, fantasy picture layout. Uh, the reality of it didn't look anything like the drawing, which is emblematic of the promise of socialism. What you're promised is not what you get. And uh, about 800 settlers came, progressive intellectuals, and you know he was going to have his his socialist uh, commune and and show everybody how great it was. Uh, the thing failed in two years after seven constitutions and 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 uh, reorganizations. But he issued at the time his Declaration of Mental Independence, and it's it, it's fascinating to me because this gets to the thing about the hierarchies, right? Because you say you know, I thought this was economics, right? Socialism is supposed to be about economics, but it's, but it's not right. And the core is the hierarchy. And so this is demonstrated where he says, we're a slave to a Trinity of the most monstrous evils. And what is that Trinity? That Trinity of evils, which is common in the, in the socialist philosophy of the time was religion, marriage, and private property. So, I hate to say it, it's not really about economics. It's not an economic issue. To be truthful, it's a spiritual issue. So this this whole bizarre thing, which sounds really weird when you think, oh, it's a so here's socialism and Marxism and whatever, and he goes, oh, it's religion, marriage, and private property, and people think, well, that's not really socialism. No, no, yeah, it really is. That was the continual uh, theme all throughout socialist history. So this is not an aberration. This is at the core of what they believe. And of course, after it failed, Owens pitches the same narrative that's pitched today in saying, basically, the reason why it failed is because we didn't have the right people. We didn't have the right people, right? If we just had the right people to implement communism and socialism, it would work. Well, here's what his son said, who was part of the experiment. He says, on the contrary, all cooperative schemes which provide equal remuneration or pay to the skilled and industrious, as well as the ignorant and the idle, must work their own downfall. For by this unjust plan, they must of necessity eliminate the valuable members and retain only the improvident, the unskilled, and the vicious. So, I mean, he really summed up the problem of the socialist experiment. And it's the same. It's still, it's still the same. So you're, we're still, they're still trying to sell the same bill of goods, the same utopian promise that everywhere it's been attempted has always failed. And you have the people that experience that personally experience it. And by the way, for uh, John earlier, uh, one of, one of Owen's, um, participants was a guy by the name of Josiah Warren and Josiah Warren was, was also a fellow socialist, fellow anarchist at the time. And after seeing the failures of uh, 
Robert Owens experiment, he left and became the first uh, individualist anarchist. So I think that's probably what, uh, you know, what you probably identify with there, which was different than the rest of the anarchist movement that carried on with the socialist and eventually split from uh, split from the Marxist about the manner in which socialism was supposed to be established. So individualist anarchists are actually an anomaly in the historic anarchist movement. So you're, you're the minority. If you're, if you're an anti-communist, anti-socialist anarchist, uh, you're actually a historical minority in the anarchist movement. So yes, yes, those type of anarchists do exist. Um, and you know, thank God for that. But, uh, but it's not, that's, they're not typical of what the anarchist movement truly has been, uh, as part of the socialist family. But here we go again. So we get the same. Could you simply explain a socialist anarchist in a couple of sentences? Yeah. So socialism envisions a utopian society where everybody shares, everybody cooperates. And that is the same vision of the anarchist, the threat to the utopian society is government. So the anarchist, the anarchist, uh, you know, wants that utopian vision of, of no government. And so, uh, anarchists are right, right wing. No, actually they're not. So that's what I've been talking about. So it's a long history. Been researching the history. That's, that's a common. So Rick, what you're referring to, as I mentioned, is very strictly speaking the individualist anarchist uh, line of the anarchist movement, which is which is ideological descendants of Josiah Warren. So yes, Rick, that is correct. They are right. The probably the anarchists you have in mind are individualist anarchists, and they would be right wing. So anarchist socialist is not an oxymor oxymoron. It is historically accurate our problem is and i used to be where you are our problem is we we're only familiar with individualist anarchism which is a minority splinter um aspect of the broader anarchist family which belongs to socialism i'm i'm sorry i know i know i know you know your kind of anarchist my kind of anarchist we don't like that but it's just history it's just history i'm not making it up it's just the way it is so 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 if if you those of you who are you know who feel more akin to that anarchism probably should start using the phrase individualist anarchist because you're not an anarchist in the historical sense you're in the historical sense you're an individualist anarchist which is of the family of Josiah Warren and is and is really you know except for the idea of utopia maybe he should have stopped calling himself uh Anarchists, yeah, individualist anarchists should, yeah, in that sense, reject the anarchist label. I don't know what else you would call it. I'm old school, new age anarchism. I know what you're saying, Rick, but that's actually backwards, bro. Um, I think, I mean, I guess maybe old school because Josiah Warren was in 1825. It was really, it was really parallel lines. But the dominant faction, the dominant faction of anarchists historically, um, were socialists. So. 
Uh, Rick, I would say you are you're, you're sort of a rebel, right? You're you're the right rebel of the anarchist movement because because you went with Warren, followed individual anarch anarchy, which made more sense. Um, whereas the rest, most of the rest of the anarchists stuck with socialism and. And they're still there. I mean, honestly, you look at Antifa, they're they're the socialist wing. They're the anarchist, you know, socialists. They're they're that wing. Uh, and they've been the majority throughout history in the anarchist movement. So anyway, someday I'll finish the book and you can see it. But it's all out. There. I mean, it's easy to research um, anarchist history. So we just we just don't know it. But anyway, my point was not to get on get on anarchism, except to suggest that it's historically within the socialist family. But the socialism my point is it's the same old tired propaganda that's proven itself for over, you know, coming up on 200 years now has proven that it's a complete failure and it does nothing but destroy people's lives. So anyway, uh, that's it. That's it. Just wanted to share a little history of those guys. Uh, Trachtenberg, master propagandist. I, I would say, I would say our current, our current media, what we call the mainstream media, it, you would probably be. Um, uh, thank you, Lady Princey, and uh, I keep missing these. I saw the other one earlier. Thank you for the super chat, guys. Um, I, I think you would you would be equally accurate. So we call you know we we use the term mainstream media fake news. From a historical perspective, uh, I think we would be, we could very legitimately call American media Soviet media, right? And that would not, that's not strictly, that would not strictly be a slur. It would actually just be a historical label because. That's what happened. So Trachtenberg, 1924, starting international publishers, receiving directives from the Soviet Union, basically began to coordinate the structure of socialist media, publishing, and art and education in the United States. And they've been true to the agenda ever since. So we still, even after the Soviet Union collapse, Soviet journalism, education, and arts in America continued the mission. So mainstream media is literally, historically speaking, literally Soviet media. So God help us. We need deliverance. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. Uh, Chris Ann will be back with you next time. God bless, and uh, we will see you then.